0: Thank you for choosing to listen to episode number 46 of Kansas City Food Memories. This was a big one. First time ever. I have learned a lesson that I am going to invest in the equipment so I can do a video live stream of my show so you can actually see what's going on and see my guest. This was a special one. As you listen, do not forget this is a taped presentation of a live radio show, so do not call in or text in when prompted. And please go to MakeThemSmile.com to sign up for our email so you can learn how to support my very special guest today. Thank you. Sit back and enjoy. Well, good morning. This is Robert Dunsing, and thank you for tuning in today to Kansas City Food Memories, where we talk about the people, the places, and the food that make Kansas City such a great place to live. Now, I very rarely talk about previous shows, but I'd I'd, I'd probably put last week's show in the top five as far as restaurant history goes. Last week I had Ken Hill, Bill Latimer, Rob Baker, and Mike Hill all from the Gilbert Robinson Restaurant Group, and we had some great stories about Gilbert Robinson and what really put the Kansas City food scene on the map nationally, and it's really interesting. So go back, if you did not hear that last week, or even if you did and you missed some of the details, go back to whatever podcast provider you use, whether it's Spotify or Google or Apple, whatever that is, go look that up because it was that was a good listen to do that one. All right. Today, my guest is a long Kansas City reg, uh, legend that may be more recognizable in Norway or Sweden than on the plaza. Bob Walkenhorst, welcome to the show. Hey, I'm glad to be here, but I put
1: in my time on the plaza, too. Do so.
0: Well, well we're good. So, um, why do people recognize you in Norway and Sweden?
1: Well, when we uh, put out records, in the, our first record came out in 1986, we were on an international record label, and they threw that record all over the world, and Kind of one of those things of throw it out against the wall and see where it sticks. And for us, it's stuck on in Scandinavia and uh, Western Europe. We so we played a lot in Western Europe and uh and really in Scandinavia. And so every time we would, the band would kind of take a break, a hiatus, whenever we came back, it's like Norway was there waiting for us. So that was kind of the, the one country in the world that was our home away from home.
0: Is is that? I wonder if that's true with all music acts because I had Ian Burn on with the Elders four or five months ago, and he said the same thing that they actually. Tour just as much in Europe as they did here. Well, they, <laughs>
1: we obviously you have to check the do the fact check with Ian on that. They go back to to Ireland because that's right. uh, that's Ian's uh, roots and. Uh, so that I think it's that, kind makes, of, that
0: part makes sense. Yeah,
1: there's kind of a visit to the uh, to his home, but also the home of where their music comes from. Right, and uh, and then they would take all their fans along with them, which which ended up mm-hmm. being, a, I think, a pretty cool experience for them and their fans.
0: Okay, so for the listeners out there, uh, this is Bob Walkenhorst. Original group, the group was originally called Steve Bob and Rich, yeah, and then you changed to the Rainmakers. Uh, was that? Was that required by the record label or why did you change?
1: Not at all. You know, the the time when I, I moved to Kansas City in 1981, and it was a wonderful time to be a musician in Kansas City because there were live music bars all over town. And you played, you usually would play one bar for four or five nights in a row, four hours a night. So, you know, live music was the, was the opportunities for young musicians to hone your craft. If you're playing five or six nights a week, four hours a night, you will get better. <laughs> yeah. And if you're terrible, there's still a place that'll hire you. So well, it's, it's, it, it it's was such... a great time to be here. And, and uh, we were a trio. We were uh, kind of one of the first oldies trios. We were playing like classic 50s and 60s rock And, uh, but as, but we, but we all had these kind of, um, similar aspirations. We wanted to be an original band. We wanted to make records. We wanted to, as much as we loved Kansas city and lived here and stayed here, we wanted to tour the world. And, uh, so we evolved from a three piece oldies band into a four piece original band. And I was the main songwriter and singer, and I had been the drummer in the first lineup. So I needed to get out from behind the drums and get a better drummer. And my, my good friend, Pat Tomick became our drummer and I. Took up the guitar and stood up front.
0: So, how did the three of you originally meet?
1: Uh, I, th- you know, like I said, this very healthy music scene here, and you would meet and play. You'd you know be in bands. You'd play with people, and I had been living down in Branson and moved to Kansas City with the uh, intent of finding people who were serious about doing. About being in it for the long haul, okay. And about, so you
0: met here; you didn't come here as a group.
1: No, no. The uh, our guitarist Steve Phillips, who also played in the Elders, right. and, and sadly passed away three years ago. Uh, Steve was from North Kansas City. Rich Ruth, our bass player, who now lives in Nashville, he was from Grandview area, and uh, yeah. And Pat Tomick, who then became our drummer, he was from Lawrence, but he had been in Kansas City for a long, or he's from Wichita, by way of Lawrence, and then in Kansas City for quite a while. Uh, but, yeah, it was the thing of, like, sorting through the musicians that you would find as, like, okay, who's in it for the lifestyle, who's in it for the party and the girls, right. and who's in it, really, for a career. So, uh, yeah, it takes a while to, to make those connections with with people you know you can be. It, it's a business. I mean, even at that level, it's like, do you want to run this as a party or do you want to run this as a business? Right. And finding people who wanted to run it as a business, even though you're just a bar band in Kansas City— uh, yeah, we found each other.
0: Well, I think there's a lot of us had no idea how much of a music history we have. So, you're so my show is called Can't See Food Memories. The original intent was just to talk about the good old days and old restaurants that we miss, and we'll get to that in a minute. But you're my third musical guest. My first was Marilyn May. So, that's, that's a pretty that's good going place to start. To, yeah, that's, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of downhill from there. Yeah, it seems like it. So, she was on, and so she was on, she called into my show when. um. Uh, Jim Eddy was on, and that was the day after she had her Carnegie Hall debut at ninety five. Wow! And so she <laughs> taught and told stories for half an hour.
1: I bow down. Yeah, I mean <laughs> she, she's
0: absolutely amazing. Then I had Ian Byrne, you know, from the Elders. I know she, he was on, and some great stories there. And and you're my third. And but it's it's interesting how what you talk about how big of a, a music scene we had. And Jim Eddie, he was telling stories about his dad had the you know that that people would play. His dad's bar, at Eddie's Lounge, and mm-hmm. so uh, Marilyn May started there before she got too big and had to move on to the next step up in Kansas City.
1: Ralph Gaines Colony yes, State absolutely. That's that's <laughs> where she went.
0: But she still she was always at at his um, at his house for Christmas and New Year's. Yeah. So he grew up with her around and and told stories about all these musical acts that would come through. Yeah, and it, and it continu- So when you came to Kansas City, what was what's a couple of memorable places that you started off at?
1: As far as where we ate or where we no, played, no, we'll
0: start with the music. Well, the, the two probably go hand in hand. The
1: Westport uh, scene at that time, there within four, three or four blocks, there were probably ten live music bars that would have music five and six nights a week. So Westport, just like you didn't, you didn't have to go very far. There were places to play, and then as original music started having an audience in Kansas City, original rock, mm-hmm. um, in you know mid mid early eighties. Uh, then this club called Parody Hall opened up, which was on 39th Street, and the, you know that was the first place REM played when they came to town. Oh no uh, kidding! Oh yeah, uh, Warren oh. Zevon played there. You know, Holy smokes. There, uh, Richard Thompson multiple times. We played. We opened for Richard Thompson there, and so they would bring in these national acts, uh, international acts, and then just original music acts out of Minneapolis or whoever was passing through. This really it held about 400 people. Uh, right there on 39th Street, and it was an upstairs. It wasn't really even a bar. It was a bar. I mean, they, they had a bar mm-hmm. in the back, but it was just a big room with this uh, kind of a stage on one end, a big, big stage, and uh, people would just pack the place. had one little stairway that everybody came up and down. It's like, oh, man, you hope nev- <laughs> nothing ever goes wrong here. Right. And when the place would be packed, when we would play, you'd be on the dance floor. If people were on the dance floor, you could feel the dance floor going up and down.
0: Oh. So... Uh, that we all live to tell about it. So, it how hard of a transition is, is that to go from playing covers to playing original music? It's a hard transition.
1: It's it's a you, you really because you you'll play a Rolling Stone song, right? And then you'll play one of your songs and hope that everyone doesn't just sit down or yeah. leave, you know? Right. <laughs> so you test the waters and and play your original songs until you can you can kind of match up with the
0: classics. So, what was the first original song that really caught on? At, you know that, that where you could keep people on the dance floor and keep them engaged. Uh,
1: well, I, I was probably the one that the one that you played uh, during the bumper music there, a, a song called "Let My People Go Go," which was I grew up in a, in a small town about an hour hour and a half east of Kansas City, and church was a big part of my life, and the kind of that struggle between God's music and the devil's music was always fascinating to me. So I wrote this song about. Um, figures from the Bible, but they're quoting classic rock songs. You know, I have Moses saying, let my people go, 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 instead of just go. (laughs) Uh, You know, I have Joshua saying, beat me big daddy, eight to the bar. I have Jesus saying, why is everybody always picking on me? Uh, Which I thought was, you know, really kind of stupid. But the band thought, no, this this is just stupid enough. I think this will fly. So, uh, no, that caught caught on really quick and became our first kind of international uh, song of note.
0: Hmm. All right. For the listeners out there, if you're just joining the show, uh, this is Robert Dunsing with Kansas City Food Memories. I'm sitting with Bob Walkenhorst, originally of Steve, Bob and Rich, also better known as the Rainmakers. And so it's um, where else did notable did you play out that people might remember?
1: Well, the, the the place that really was kind of the musical center of, uh, of the Kansas City music scene at that time of the rock and roll scene and blues scene was Blaney's, which was a downstairs bar um right in the center of westport and it was there it's it was there since the 70s and they actually started out i think as a bluegrass uh, and folk bar and then it evolved into a blues and rock club and it was small it was like you know it was kind of our our cavern club mm-hmm. you know it was this really low ceiling and rock walls and uh, the place would just get packed
0: so at the i own a bakery and cafe and so people now they'll ask me who i have coming on in the next few weeks and when i mentioned you i had a customer Said that you were a wonderful blend of folk music and rock music.
1: Well, I think the thing was that that's an interesting take. I mean, we definitely were a a hammer down rock and roll band. We certainly were that. Right. We played one volume, which was very loud, uh, and uh, subtlety was not. You know, we could, but that wasn't really what we did well. Uh, coming on strong, but the I think the the thing that was unique about our band was the original music always had a, a level of something for your brain you know something for you to think about something for your conscience something for your reflection it wasn't just empty words and I think that's kind of the folk element maybe they were talking right. about
0: it was yeah
1: that uh, you know we we wanted to make you dance but we always wanted to make you think a little bit too yeah
0: I think billboard um, when I was doing the research yesterday just to kind of see find get some background information bill there's a quote in the billboard when your first album made it, to, I think eighty seventh, that mentioned you writing the lyrics that actually mean something. Yeah,
1: well, that's I mean, unusual. you're you're going to get three and a half minutes of people's time. Yeah, uh, make it worth their time and make yeah. them make them want to listen to it again because they're wait, what what did they just say? you know, yeah. what what are they talking about? They're talking about God from or you know people from the Bible singing rock and roll songs. Yeah. Wait, I've never heard a song like that. You know, that's yeah. what we were going for. We want to make a song that you'd never heard like uh, something like that before.
0: Yeah. So, um, art. So you mentioned that one bar. You know where R.E.M. Yeah. played at. What other did you open for? Any other bands that were kind of interesting? Oh, uh, we stores? opened
1: for so many people. Uh, and the Uptown Theater, of course, was was booming in those days too. Um, and we were this extremely portable three piece band. You know, I had I was the drummer. We had I had one I had one kick drum, a snare drum, and a cymbal. And you know the guitar player and the bass player, Steve and Rich, they both played out of really small amps. We could be on and off of a stage in a matter of seconds. So we got to open for a lot of people. Um, we opened for Roger McGuinn of the Birds. We opened for um, War- uh, Marshall Crenshaw on his first tour, which was really really great. Um, we played at the, far- the first rocker- Walk-a-Russo Festival in Lawrence. You know, we were, <laughs> when it wasn't even called, it was I think it was still called Walk-a-Russo, but it didn't wasn't what it is now. Uh yeah, and we you know in the rainmakers days we were on festivals with Bob Dylan and um, Leonard Cohen and you know I got to hang out with Leonard Cohen you know it's like it's not many people get to say yeah we hung out I got to hang out with Leonard Cohen uh, so yeah you know we had a lot of experiences and and most of the time the people that you cross paths with were pretty were really nice
0: so what so when when you came to Kansas City I imagine you had a lot of late nights. Was there any restaurants that you really miss or that bring back fond memories?
1: Well, you know, I was telling you about Parody Hall and 39th Street. So literally out, out the door of the stairway and around the corner was Nichols Lunch. And so all the you know, the when we were first playing the the hours the bar hours were nine to one. So everybody would get out of the bars and immediately go to Nichols Lunch because it was open twenty-four hours and the food was, was good and the food was really inexpensive and the place would just be packed with everyone you knew. And uh, so Nichols Lunch was there, I think, into the 90s, maybe even longer, maybe into the 2000s. But, uh, the, you know, it was just a great late night uh, diner and mm-hmm. uh, big, pretty big. And, and, yeah, you'd see all your friends there and you get French toast. and
0: I said, you see a little bit of everything in there, too.
1: Yeah. There were, but most of the time it was, it was pretty calm. But, um, yeah, it was a great after gig. You know, everybody's hungry. Let's go wind down, eat something and see all of our friends.
0: You absolutely love music. Music's your life.
1: It has been, yeah. You know, I think I've had a well-rounded life. I have yeah. tried to make sane decisions about life versus music. Uh, but yeah, I mean, music's kind of been this thread that's run all through my life that has served me well.
0: Yeah. So do you travel everywhere with your harmonica and guitar? Or am I, am I special?
1: I I did. Are you special? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you you were seven minutes from my house, and that's yeah. about as far as I like to go anymore. Okay. So. <laughs> no, I, I. we were talking out in the lobby that you know, amazing that Marilyn May has her Carnegie Hall debut oh, at ninety five. Yeah, that's eh, not going to happen to me. Um, but I, I I turned seventy this past summer, and I just evaluated like what is. You know, what are the parts of music that I still love and what are the parts of music that I'm, I've am i done enough of for my particular journey? And I don't like traveling anymore. And I, yeah, we traveled all over the U.S., Canada, and, and Europe and Scandinavia relentlessly. And it was great. It was a wonderful experience in the 80s and in the 90s and, and then again in the 2000s um and i've kind of done that enough i just don't like to travel i don't like being away from my family and now my grandkids it's like i'm, I'm really kind of a home guy yeah. so uh yeah i still play i just don't travel and i play okay. here in kansas city down at uh, mike kelly's west Sider, first and third wednesday of each month and that you know it's five minutes from my house
0: where was that at what was that called uh, mike
1: kelly's west okay. Sider? you know it's on westport road 1550 i think is the address uh, but yeah it's be, it's become a great uh, you know it's it's a small club a uh, neighborhood bar but they you know he he puts in really good music there
0: does he get local people playing original music too
1: oh yeah but you know they're, they're, they gets a lot of both they get do you mentor blues.
0: anybody on that am I you, what do you mentor anybody on that or do you tell them to stay away <laughs> get a real job
1: get out of get out while you still can uh no I you know I've met a lot of young musicians and our daughter una um, who is now 30. You know, she started out playing around the clubs in Kansas City, and and uh, you know has worked on original music. And uh, I've guess I've mentored her and told her here's what here's the good parts of have being doing music for a living, and here's the parts you got to be wary yeah. of.
0: Yeah. Well, when I, we talked to Marilyn May, one of her favorite things is mentoring people. She does master classes and some of the lessons that she teaches people. Which is fascinating, and I remember when after that, and still doing concerts. I remember talking, having a conversation with somebody. Why is she still doing this at ninety five? But we went, I, we went to her concert, you know, uh, two three weeks ago. And when you see her in concert, you understand why she still does it. I mean, that's she was born to do that. I mean, that was she looked so comfortable up there, yeah. and the band that she had, they would do anything for her. Yeah, and it was it, it was it was magical to see that. It's yeah. like oh, there, there was no doubt in our minds why she still does that.
1: Right, and and apparently the lifestyle fits her. I think that yeah. that becomes the dividing line. It's like how many airplanes do you want to get on? I, my answer is zero. You know, Marilyn May. Apparently, she does it. She handles it better than I do.
0: Yeah. Some people, the, the the cynic. There's so many people that are cynical and they say it's just the they they miss the the spotlight. You know, they want to be the center of attention. But I think it goes deeper than that.
1: I think it differs person to person. I um. You know why do why do Paul McCartney and why do the Stones keep doing it? I, I think they genuinely love it, but I think that, that that spotlight, that position, that say be able to say at 80, 81, for in Paul's case eighty in the Stones that we're still relevant, that we still can draw an audience. Uh, I, yeah, I, whatever their reasons are, I'm glad they have. I'm glad they have their reasons but i don't want to let, i don't want their reasons to color my reasons you right. know i want to decide i want to decide what really fits my life Each, my new cd my new uh, album is called my version of the story and that's kind right. of the you know that's that's kind of what i i wrote a song called my version of the story where i realize you know there everyone has their musical story everyone has their story you know everyone has their the arc of their life and and the meaningful work that they find and how, much to, how, how do you balance that meaningful work with having a fam, the responsibilities of a family or responsibilities in a community? How do you, how do you find that right balance? Um, and it's different for every person. So, you know, this, this is my version. I like staying at home. Uh, my wife and I like being involved in, uh, you know, she's, she's one of these people that can do a lot of the frontline work for social justice and mm-hmm. for, for um, kids in the, in the social system. Um, and my little music community has been really good at, at uh, helping support and fund those efforts through the years, and that feels right to me. I need, I need to be part of that, and uh, my wife and I are a great team on that.
0: Well, that's wonderful. Does she do that on her own? Does she support other organizations?
1: Uh, Bo, Well, mostly support in, in a role in other organizations. I mean, she worked in the Kansas City School District for a long time. She worked in the Federal Homeless Department for the, for the school mm-hmm. district, uh, and now she's a volunteer for CASA. Okay. Which, uh, oh, you know, if, sure. For people that know what Casa is about, it's a great organization of people. It's kind of the you know, it's kind of an independent uh, social services organization that helps mm-hmm. ch- children and family and, and families in crisis and transitions. And uh, so she's kind of a full time volunteer there and consultant on on different projects of theirs. And and my my little music community has been very generous in supporting Casa, and we continue to. In fact, on December twentieth at uh, the West Sider. I'll be teaming up with my old uh, band, bandmates, Jeff Porter and Norm Daler, and we're doing a, a Christmas benefit for Casa. Oh,
0: okay. And, and when's that going to be?
1: December 20th, Wednesday okay. night. Shoot
0: me an email on that. I'll, um, I'll give advance notice on okay. that on my show, too, cool. to, if they still have tickets. So so you write your own music. I mean, you're one of the few talent. The, the people that can write their own music and the lyrics both just absolutely amaze me, <laughs> you know, that the, the talent they have. So... So you have a new album out. Did mm-hmm. you write all new original music for that?
1: Oh yeah, and uh, it's song. I try to write a song every month. I do this thing called Patreon, where people can subscribe <laughs> to me. Uh, you're familiar with Patreon? No, no. Okay. I mean,
0: you just amaze me. I mean, it's just. Well, they
1: they uh, Patreon came into existence from 15 plus years ago, I think, and they just, just as music became a harder and harder way to make a living where, well, people don't buy CDs anymore, right. you know, they stream, and music's free, basically. They came up with this uh, system where your audience, whatever size it is, can subscribe to you monthly, and and different levels, and different amounts, and uh, different rewards, and so when I started Patreon, luckily, just before the pandemic, uh, before the pandemic was even, we knew it was coming before that, I set this thing up, and so... Yeah, you know, people across the U.S. and quite a few in Europe said, yeah, we'll, we'll support old Bob.
0: All right, so <laughs> And those... I promised
1: him a song every month, and so, okay, I, so... I write and record All right, a song well, each g- month.
0: That's on... Those of us that loved your music back in the day you know, would want to know, one of the questions is how, how can we support you today? So it's, what's that called, Patreon?
1: Yeah, like patron, but with an E in there, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, patreon.com, and then you can search for me and you can find me and subscribe.
0: Okay, and yeah. that's something that directly helps you.
1: Yeah, it's just they, you know, they, they channel the money to the artists, and there's uh, thousands of artists that do this now. Yeah, and yeah, and you know, I try to make it worth my my audience's time. I try to send them a new song each month, and if they want one of my paintings, well, they can get a print of a painting, or they can get an original painting, or I'll come to their house and play. You know.
0: All right. Well, you just answered my next question: <laughs> Is that somebody with your artistic abilities have to have some other outlet? You know, Ian Byrne, when I was talking about him, woodworking. Oh, it was yeah. his family's passion. Yeah. And the work that they do is amazing. Oh, it is, yeah. I mean, Merlin May, I think, it's, she's 100% singing, <laughs> you know, in entertainment.
1: So you do art also. Well, I, you know, there's a lot of musicians that uh, dabble in the visual arts. You know, I mean, uh, Tony Bennett was a fantastic painter. Right, I've seen uh, that. Paul McCartney has put out a book of his paintings. John Mellencamp has. Uh, Joni Mitchell, you know, she said she's she's a painter first and a musician second. Hmm. And, and I think... Uh, Paul McCartney said, "It just depends on which crayon you pick up that day." You know, it's it. It's all just <laughs> it's all just being in touch with that that child part of yourself that just likes to make stuff. And uh, whether you're making a song or whether you're making a, a drum part for that song or whether you're making a painting or a, a scribble on a piece of paper, you just want to make stuff. I mean, we all did it when we were two right. and three. Uh, just some of us. We some, get encouragement at the right time, and we never quit.
0: Some of us had to grow up and give that up. Yeah, I know. It's, it's sad, loss.
1: and some of us were lucky, and we didn't have to grow up, and we didn't mm. have to give it up.
0: <laughs> well, it, it's at, so many of us envy you, being able to do that, find your passion and pursue it, and well, keep doing it.
1: And I know I've been extremely lucky in that I came into the music business at a time where it was you could make a living doing it at, at any level, really. Uh, being in Kansas City, uh, playing bars, you could make a living doing that. And then... We were part of the record business at a time where they actually were selling records, and right. you could get paid to go out and, and you could get royalties to tour, yeah. yeah, and tour the you know tour the country and get paid for it. And that it's much harder for younger musicians now. So yeah,
0: I've been very lucky. Okay, all right. So um, we have a text line. The phone number is nine one three five eight six seven seven nine eight. We'll open up. Go ahead and open up the phone lines, Rocco. We'll take calls probably in about five minutes uh, to do that. But on the text line, I've got two questions. One of them, I'm kind of dreading. <laughs> now, because it's about a song you don't really care for, "Government Cheese." I'm going to say which
1: of this, which of my songs that I don't yeah. care for is yeah. it about. Yeah, uh, "Government Cheese" was written before we were before we were making records, before we had I had any idea anyone was even listening to us, and it's uh, and we're not going to play it, right? No, no, okay, no, <laughs> no, we're not going to do that. Uh, you know, it's kind of a, a mean spirited little song about the welfare system, uh, and the the song got us a lot of attention. And it was shortly after I wrote the song. It kind of as the band got on its feet and was making records and doing, you know, all the things we always dreamed of doing. That I realized, I I kind, it kind of really hit me how lucky I was that I was getting to do what I had always dreamed Mm -hmm. of doing. But it also made me realize how many people in the world do not have luck on their side and do not have, you know, uh, everything from the the stable family that I came from to ways to make a a living uh, comfortably. A living wage, all those things that it's like. Oh, Bob, you won the lottery. You know, yeah. you, even before you started making music, you had so many advantages. And so I had to, I had to kind of come to terms with that. That I'd written this really mean spirited little song, that uh, I had to write another side to that. And so I wrote a song called "Spend It on Love" about how uh, we're yes, we're a wealthy country. We're a, we're we're a, a very privileged country. We have the resources to help everyone if we really will do it.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, I I think you took that too much to heart. A lot of us who like music, it's just it, that was one of those songs that we like. Me, you know, some of us that don't really hear all the lyrics and the meaning behind mm. it. Just like we like so many of the songs from Queen, you know, that had a. A refrain that we that we can hear, and you know, and you had a great beat to it, and yeah. it, it resonated for that reason. Well, it
1: was like when Reagan was campaigning, and they were playing "Born in the USA." Yeah, it's like you're obviously not listening to the, to oh, the yeah, words of this song, and
0: everybody who still plays <clears throat> that think you know it's. And if you listen to that, that's not conveying the message that they think they want they right. want to to do yeah. on that one. Yeah. So, but you know, that was one of those. That was probably one of the three or four most catchy songs that going back and that I still remember. You know, for not for very shallow reasons. Well, we and, and
1: the thing is that, well, as, as I said, that's what we were trying to do, is try to write, I was trying to write a song about a subject you had never heard a song about before. And lots of times that was interesting, and sometimes in the case of that song, Government Cheese, I was yeah. kind of treading into areas that I didn't really know what yeah. I was talking
0: well, about. Well, everybody in rock music and all that, you have to poke the government bear. You know, the yeah. establishment bear a little bit, or you're not going to be taken seriously.
1: Yeah, but I was. I, the, unfortunately, that song was not poking the government bear as much as it was poking the people. <laughs> yeah. on the receiving end. Yeah, and that's, and that's just not
0: fair. Well, good for you.
1: I'm well, ask You just, hope you hope if you keep learning as yeah. life goes on, learn the lessons that you were wrong about things, yeah. and that you can you can make you can still make yeah. a difference, even though you were wrong there. You can you know get in, get your energies aligned to something more okay. constructive.
0: Well, I, I hesitate to ask about the other the other song somebody mentioned. <laughs> Because I'm, I already know what it is. Which one? Big fat blonde. It is. Yeah, and uh, they're talking about the big KY102 event, Shiny Mission. It, but you okay, know, and so it, what's the story on that song? I mean, it was catchy just because of the in-your-face and the so fun, so you know humor. The thing that I've
1: been left stuck with wrestling with is that you know we've had a couple of very popular songs that I de- I, I don't detest the song itself. I detest the fact that I. Took the time to write a song that was that was not a positive. It was not positive, you know. It was it was, you know, big fat blonde. I'm not even going to e- explain that right. it was. Well,
0: Bob, how old were you then? Well, I was late twenties. Okay, know? we've everybody listening has done a lot of things in the late twenties <laughs> that we probably regret, and thankfully we're. You know, no uh, one no one asks you about it anymore well, well no yeah. I, you know I'm just thinking some of the stuff that I did back in college thank goodness there were no such thing as cell phones and video yeah, really. cameras. yeah some of those things like but that yeah
1: but. so so you know my my diary writing writing down dumb stuff when I'm in my 20s it, it's out there on All you right. know well, on let me just
0: tell you this YouTube forever you know huh? how cool it is that two things that you're not especially proud of could bring so much entertainment and joy to so many people.
1: Yeah, I'll take that. Yeah. You, know, I mean, I, you I mean, you know, those songs are popular in Europe, too. There's not yeah. just the American well, you, you, the American take on those subjects. Just a, a but short it,
0: little blip of that, uh, a cut of those. Both those songs will put a smile on so many people's face.
1: Yeah, but I've got better songs. Well, okay. All right, so I'm <laughs> going to take
0: a, um. so I've got to read a quick break. If you want to go ahead and set up, when okay. we come back for the break, uh, break, I'll let you play a song. Okay. And then we'll um, also we'll open. Um, – I've got a couple of people online, so we'll take calls from them. Great. So go ahead and get set up. Okay. All right, for those of you, if you'd like to go ahead and call in, if you have a specific Rainmaker story, call in now at 913-586-7798. And uh, Rocco will get you set up. It'll take a few minutes, but go ahead and get in line. And I'm going to keep this real simple. If you enjoy this radio show um, a, week, a few weeks here and there, and you want to see it continue on the air, come out and support Best Regards Bakery and Cafe. Because I buy this airtime, don't have any commercial breaks, and so if you want to keep doing this, you need to help support us. So we're at 119th in Glenwood, about two blocks east of Metcalf. It's Best Regards Bakery and Cafe. So number one, sign up for the email newsletter at makethemsmile.com. Today I'm doing a big promotion that's just for the weather. If you hate the crowd, today's going to be a good day to come because it's going to be pretty quiet. But I'm doing a very special thing that's we're serving, if you get a large bowl, lunch bowl of our homemade chili, you'll get a large cinnamon roll for free. For those of you that grew up in the Midwest, you remember those from your, your school days. Bob just smiled at me. He's like, that, that brings back happy memories, and that's what we try to do. So come on in to Best Regards Bakery and Cafe. What you got for us today, Bob?
1: Well, it's interesting. You, uh, you, We started our conversation actually out in the hallway about Marilyn May. Yeah. And uh, where she played in Kansas City, and I actually have a song that mentions Marilyn May. Uh, That's it, crazy. It, and we were saying, you know, the theme of the of your show being nostalgia, and and so th- my family, like I said, lived in a little town uh, hour and a half east of here, but we delivered the Kansas City newspaper. That was our family business, and. Um, In the times that we were delivering the paper, there were two newspapers a day. The evening paper, the Kansas City Star, which is now the morning paper. But the morning paper at that time was called the Kansas City Times. And we would be up at 3 o'clock in the morning loading up hundreds of newspapers, driving out through rural Missouri, throwing the newspaper. And so I wrote a song about that. But I was also reading the newspaper, and I was fascinated reading about Marilyn May and, and about... Milton Abel, Milton Abel and Betty Miller, you know, legendary jazz people here in town that I was just imagining what life in Kansas City would be like. So, get in the big old Plymouth. We're going to go through rural
2: Missouri. 70 miles an hour down a gravel road Crank down the wind to get the paper thrown I the banks. Don't hit the flowers. Read all about it in the wee wee hours. We're front page news. We're the big headlines. We're coming to your town. We're the Kansas City Times. I never read further than the fold in the page. Got to keep my the temperature gauge, steering with my knees, rolling with my hands. Thermos full of coffee and a lamp full of rubber bands, taking in the scenery and the scene of the crime. I'm the news of the world, I'm the Kansas City Times. Campy Campanera stole the base last night, I'm stealing fire from the meteorites. Coming down around me like a heavenly dome. In three more hours, I'll be heavenly home. Beep, beep. Here comes Robert. Maryland Mays down at the Colony State. Miller are taking a break at the Playboy Club where I've never been and I never will. Amen, amen, amen. I'm way out ahead of the county snowplows. My big old Plymouth gets stuck every now and then. I get some farmer to tractor me out. Then I'm back on the road. Running the route, all singing convention, I harmonize, glory, hallelujah. I'm the Kansas City Times. Mm-hmm. Thrown a Kansas City Times. Kansas City Times.
0: That was amazing. <laughs>
1: Well, it was. I said, you know, I've read incredible. about and hear on the radio commercials for Marilyn May down at Ralph Ralph Gaines Colony Steakhouse. We've
0: joked on this show or commented about how many dots that we've connected on show, the show that people that actually knew each other, and and you've connected several, yeah, just in, in one song.
1: I, uh, I I told you that the last time I actually I saw Marilyn May, she was singing at a funeral of a friend we had in common. I don't know Marilyn personally, but she was singing at a a guy who had been an engineer at. at uh, KCTV for decades and decades that she was close personal friends with, and she sang at his funeral.
0: Hmm. All right, so is, is that, that's one of your newer? No, that's well,
1: that's about that a decade old. Okay, uh, when the Rainmakers re, you know reformed in uh, 2011, the idea was just to get together one more time, go to Norway one more time, and then on the, in the last uh, <laughs> the last minute we thought. Let's make a new record just so we'll have something to sell. And we ended up making a, one of my favorite records. We, uh, we just had such a good time doing it. And that was one of the songs from our 2011. 25 On was the title of the record because it had been 25 years since our first album had come out. So, yeah, that's Kansas City Times.
0: Okay, so if uh, you mentioned Patreon. So, is, um, so if they go to that, will they find... Older songs like this, or is it just the new, new songs that you Well, they'll find time.
1: about, uh, if they join Patreon, they will have access to 30, t- 34 songs, 34 videos, and 34 essays okay. uh, from me, just about music and about each song. I'd kind of write, some, write down my thoughts about how the song came into. But yeah, I, that's kind of... I have uh, a
0: feeling you're going to pick up a few followers I hope that. so, yeah, okay.
1: patreon.com.
0: Okay, all right, Bob. So I'm on, I have Bob Walkenhorst here in studio with me. Well, formerly of Steve, Bob, and Rich, also known as the Rainmakers. All right, um, Bob, if you want to go ahead and put your headphone on, we have a couple of callers in here. Okay. All right, Rocco, let's go and go to Leo. Leo? Are Hello. You... Hi there. What do you have for us?
3: Uh, I used to go and see Steve, Bob, and Rich in Blaney's, and it was a wonderful era That from the 80s. In the 80s, it was great. Also, at Blaney's, the bouncer was this tall guy, <laughs> looked like a football player. His name was Kevin Mahogany, who is a singer here in town, or a jazz singer.
1: And the other ba- and the other bouncer, the other doorman was Jeff Black, who has gone on to be a a successful Nashville songwriter. So there was this joke for a while that if if you wanted to be wanted to really make it in the music business, don't play at Blaneys, be the doorman at Blaneys and you'll but, like,
3: you know, I never knew he was a singer until because he would he would sing songs with certain, you know, bands that yeah, yeah. wanted him and I was like, god, that guy could sing.
1: Yeah, and Kevin he, was a sweetheart.
3: Didn't know, didn't know. You know, I was also I think uh, what is it? R.E.M. played a Wednesday night in 1983 at Parody Hall. I think that was I for some reason some friends were in, and they were taking like a medical test, and they were going to take it during the weekend. They got here Wednesday, and they go, "Is there anything to do?" And I picked picked up a pitch a pitch uh, newspaper, eight pages, and I go, "Well, there's this band over at Parody Hall. We walked over, and it was." Uh, it was REM. You
1: got to hear REM at Parody. That's and pretty cool. I didn't. I, did. I didn't make and, it to that gig. I, I was probably the opening, working somewhere. Uh,
3: act was uh, it was the instrumental guys also from uh, Love Tractor
1: from Athens, Georgia. Too
3: they were also they were the opening oh. act.
1: Is this Leo, the keyboard player that I know? No,
3: no, it's not. <laughs> I'm, just a, I'm just a fan.
1: You don't meet a lot of Leo, so I thought maybe no, I knew you, you.
3: You don't. But that was a great bar. I couldn't believe. You know, it was so small and intimate, and yeah. I. You know, you didn't know you were living through, like, a great period of time.
1: Yeah, it was, it was a great time. It was a great time to be audience and great time to be a musician.
3: Yeah, it was. All right, that's well, my well, story.
0: Thanks, right, you, I appreciate that, Leo. All right, Rocco, let's go to Richard. Richard, are you there? Richard? Oh, no. Wait, wait a minute. Is he gone or is he back? My
3: my law school.
0: Oh, okay. Sorry, uh, Richard, sorry. About
3: I accidentally that. messed up. You got to take it from the top. My yeah, bad, guys. Yeah, go ahead and All start
0: right. over, Richard. Sorry about that. No,
3: no problem. No problem. Bob, you may not remember this, but you played a gig for the University of Missouri, Kansas City uh, in 1984 for a party called Race Dakota Steve, Bob, and Rich played, and you guys were uh, were absolutely fantastic.
1: Did we play on uh, campus? Was that the one of the on campus gigs?
3: It, it was. It was the. It was actually at the Holiday Inn on Main Street, which is now no longer there. Uh, but you played for the it was the law school class. Okay, there, yeah, I, I do
1: remember party. that gig. I remember that gig,
3: and uh, and you're finally remembered by all the class of that that well,
1: year. So. And, that, and that's a nice thing about music. It music becomes you know part of the memory uh, of these um, milestones in people's lives and their lives going into careers. And you know, we I remember once we played for the dental school at graduation. It's like all these people, <laughs> we got to be the soundtrack for your graduation, and we appreciate it. Hey, I appreciate All right. it, too. Thank you, Richard. I appreciate Richard.
0: you calling in. Thanks, guys. All right, listeners, if any of you have a comment or a question for Bob Walking Horse of the Rainmakers, give me a call at 913-586-7798. All right, Bob, I have to ask you, did you ever go to a concert just as a spectator or listener, or is that something you couldn't do? <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, of course I did. Right. Uh, you know, I... I saw the police at uh, Kemper Arena, and I didn't get to go to the second time they were there because we had a gig. Uh, you know, and that's all, that's all off, often the story. It's like some really cool band is coming to town, but I got a gig. and uh, But no, I, you know, I've been to see Bob Dylan, and I've been to see uh, uh, Paul McCartney, and, you know, been to see – yeah. And, and back then in the 80s, you know, if you had a night off – you'd go hear somebody else because mm-hmm. that was just music was what we were living and breathing.
0: Did anybody have a show that just moved you and just hit you in a way that, that changed the way you thought or looked at a show?
1: Springsteen's uh, Born in the USA tour, in which I believe is 84, that that really showed me, here's here's how to do a concert. You know, you can come on with a hammer. You know, he would open the show with Born in the USA and then the second song would be him and an acoustic guitar. I'm like, wow, if you're good enough, you can pull that off. And it, it uh, yeah, it really opened my eyes to how 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 if you if you really took control of the stage, how you could do all these different things. You could take people to these different places. That was really an eye opener for
0: Were me. Were you singing like that before that, or was that was kind of the early early years for you?
1: That was yeah. the early band years. I mean, I'd been playing music for quite a while, even at that point in time. But to see someone do it so masterfully and not be locked into, well, every song has to be bombastic. I mean, Springsteen can be bombastic with the best of them, but he can also just turn around with an acoustic guitar and still keep you right there. Where where he where you want to be you know you want to be inside the song with him and I realized that the secret to that is have a good song <laughs> you know yeah it it has to it has to be a it's all it always come back to to a respect for the music you know have a great song and play it as well as you can every time and people will go there it'll be worth your audience's time and they won't let you down
0: what was the biggest concert you ever did
1: we played a festival I believe it was in 1987 or 88. Uh, in Denmark called Roskilde, which was you know a huge, huge music event uh, in Europe. They, I think it still goes on. They've downscaled it a little bit. But they had three major stages. And so as, as things would be ending on one stage and it would be starting up on another, well, at, at the time that, that our set was, which happened to be like late afternoon, both the other stages were dead. There was no one else on the other stages. And so we played in front of 80,000 people. Uh, what was that like? Oh, you know, it. it I actually prefer sm- smaller crowds that work better for me. I like looking people in the eyes. And when you're playing to 80,000 people, uh, it, it's just kind of a sea. You know, you're just kind of looking out there. And, you know, this was daytime, so I actually could see people. But, you know, we played uh, you know, a number of the arenas and we played a number of the. We, you know, we went on tour with the Doobie Brothers and went on tour with Kansas. And those those type of um, amphitheater things are nice, but you really can't see anybody. You know, it, it's just you're playing to blackness. And that's okay. I'm glad that there's artists that that works for them. I, right. I just kind of like – it causes me to just kind of go through the motions because you don't really have the human connection of looking people in the eye and and acknowledging their presence. You know, you just,
0: you know what's interesting to me is that you have – a lot more in common with Marilyn May than you probably think because I remember talking to her and she does a master class and the number one lesson she teaches her singers when she gets the younger singers that you must sing with your eyes open and she said she can't stand singers who sing with their eyes closed because then you're singing for yourself yeah you need to have your eyes open make contact with your audience because you're singing for them it's it, interesting you, you would said.
1: you would relate that because I've I've thought of that many times. But whenever you see a singer like Marilyn Marilyn May, if they're singing to the audience and they're looking you in the eyes, and if there's a moment where they close their eyes, you know that they are deep into an emotion at that moment. They're mm-hmm. not gonna stay there. Not they're not hiding from you, but for that moment, so the closing of the eyes becomes a huge dramatic effect if yeah. you don't sing with them closed yeah. all the time.
0: Because when she just had her concert a few weeks ago at the Folly. She specifically pointed out a single person in the in the upper deck <laughs> yeah. on the left side. So, not only
1: can she sing, her vision is still good, yeah. too. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I mean,
0: she tried to connect with each part of the audience in the theater. Yeah. You know, because it, it, because, I mean, she, she was obviously trying to sell the fact that she was singing for them.
1: Yeah. Well, you would, know, the, the running joke in Kansas City is, you know, there would be a, a show at the Uptown or a show at Starlight or something, and the actor would come out and go, hello, Kansas.
0: Yeah, you're not in yeah. Kansas. You know? <laughs> yeah, you always cringe when they do that. Yeah. It's like you almost expect that anymore. Right? Yeah. It's like you know,
1: you know, they may be from England. They may not know that know where that river runs. So.
0: Yeah. All right. So um, you have a new book out.
1: Um, I have a new album out, okay. and, uh, and 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 as I was saying, you know, it's harder to sell physical music and uh, making making vinyl is, is cool and all that. It's just extremely expensive and work intensive. So I didn't, and I have done that before and I just kind of didn't want to do that. So I just made another CD and I thought, well, how many songs can you fit on a CD? And I, so I, Packed it up. It's got 22 songs on it. But then that gave me the opportunity to make a booklet, a, a book, of the lyrics to those 22 songs. If there had only been 10 songs, that'd be a pretty tiny book. But 22 songs, okay, that makes a book. And my paintings from over the years, I, I put uh, reproductions of my paintings, one with each song. So you get uh, 27 paintings and the lyrics to 22 songs. And this is all available at BobWalkenhorst.com.
0: Okay. So... A lot of us, you know, the business has changed, you know, with the whole, you know, if you're looking at the strikes, you know, with the writers and the actors and all that kind of stuff and musicians, the royalties just aren't there anymore. And, you know, the old days, look at the the friends, actors, how much money they make per year on the royalties (laughs) under the old system. But nobody does that. So for those of us regular people that enjoy music like yours, the best way to support you is to do what? Like Patreon?
1: Patreon is good. Uh, But, you know, I still like... Uh, I still like making an album, you know, and then in this case, making an album and a book to where you're making this piece of art. So yeah, uh, go to Bob and, and you can take, you can see a little sample of the, uh, of the book and, uh, and order one. It makes a great Christmas gift.
0: Okay. So uh, are you, is your current singing schedule posted there as well?
1: Uh, yeah, but I, it's also first and third Wednesday at Mike Kelly's West okay. Sider. And that doesn't change. It doesn't change. It's going to keep going.
0: Well, my my best friends, John and Janelle Erickson, they're the one that I was having a hard time finding you and getting a hold of you. They're the ones who, <laughs> who did that.
1: You I'm did. not that hard to find, Robert. No, no,
0: no. Well, <laughs> it's I got a lot going on. So hey, somebody just mentioned on here, is there anywhere that they can get – the Steve, Bob, and Rich LP with the bowling balls.
1: Yes, they can. It won't be the LP. It'll be a CD, but it will be an extended CD uh, that has live track, a bunch of live tracks on it from that era, too. And uh, also available at com. Our whole discography is available there.
0: All right. So that was, okay. Um, how long does it take you to write a song on average?
1: Uh, it, it's usually, you know, an hour, hour and a half to a couple hours is usually kind of the the thing. I take a walk with an idea for a song and I like to keep walking until the, I can at least have the, the sketch of the song and most of the lyrics done in my head. So it's one of those things of get in the zone and stay in the zone and, you know, uh, an hour. You can usually like an hour and a half, something yeah. like that.
0: A, a talent like yours just amazes me. Hey, Rocco, you in there? Let's go ahead and go to uh, Joe. Put your headphone on so we can hear Joe. Joe, are you there? Yep, I'm here. All right. What do you have for us?
4: Well, I was just... the The... Talking about the music scene, and really, it was it was late 70s, early 80s, too. And I talked to young kids that I've worked with and stuff and tell them about this, and they kind of look at me with disbelief. But, I mean, literally, I was like 18 and going there on a fake ID and uh, partying in River Key. And you could just walk from bar to bar. My my brother was in a band called Broadway Click.
1: Oh, I know that band, yeah.
4: Yeah, that uh, played in the warehouse. They were like the house bands of the warehouse. And we used to just walk, you could walk from bar to bar. Um your brother? Uh, Ron Collins.
1: Okay, I didn't know Ron personally, but I I, I heard that band many times.
4: Yes. And uh you could just walk from bar to bar. I mean and then Westport, you know, then to talk about Westport. But you could just walk from from uh the warehouse to Godfathers to there was the other one, Nasty McNasties and just band after band and you know. Well, and and, and in
1: Westport that. at that time there was no cover charge. Yeah. You could wander in, listen to the band for however long you wanted, wander on to the next bar. Yeah, there's no yes. cover charges even.
4: Yes. Yeah and uh, um the where, uh, the warehouse uh, finally it was set on fire when the uh when the they started warring over control yeah. of uh uh of uh, the River Key
1: and that was just before I moved here I I actually one of my very first gigs was uh in the River Market at a place called, and now I can't remember the name, but it was it was one of the last bars left there, and that was the night that I met Steve Phillips. he uh, I was playing in a, kind of the prototype for Steve, Bob, and Rich, and uh, we had a little New Year's Eve gig, and Steve Phillips came and sat in, and I thought, oh, this guy's better than most other people. <laughs> so that was where Steve and I met and got started uh, on our musical collaborations. And Cost- no, that wasn't thing. Costello, what was it called?
4: Uh, if my brother had called, he could tell you there's a guy that he played with, big, tall guy, and he, he was in the band with him for quite some time, and he writes songs in Nashville and started started out here in Kansas City, but kids don't, you know, they, they that's all gone, and, uh, you know, now, let's see, by the time I got uh i don't know 20 or 25 it was slowing down and then you know of course it just disappeared basically all right
0: joe we're getting close to the end of the hour i really appreciate you calling
4: nice
1: to talk to you joe
0: all right all right Thank Thank you. thanks a lot bye all right bob let me ask you so you sang covers for a while what was your favorite cover to sing <laughs> I mean, that you could really embrace and
1: My favorite and cover, uh, you know, there were so many. I mean, we knew hundreds of songs. But it's funny. I have a song that uh, I first sang in front of people when I was three years old. Sang at the Farmer's Banquet. And I sang this song. And I can we continued to play it in the early days of Steve, Bob, and Rich. It actually appeared on the final Rainmakers record, which was called Cover Band. And I just played it last week at at a nursing home. Uh, and it's sixteen tons by written by Merle Travis and sung by Tennessee Ernie Ford. Really, just, just a great song, and it's been there for me since I before I can even remember.
0: Why does that? Why does that resonate so much with it's you? It's just
1: a fun song, you know. It's kind of sinister sounding, and it's got finger snapping in it, and you know. I wish just,
0: I'd asked that a little bit earlier, so we had time yeah, to hear 16 that sixteen mean,
1: ton. Yeah, it's a it's an American classic.
0: Well, it's it's fascinating to me when I see well established, I mean, rock singers sing covers of other bands.
1: Well, it's fun to interpret, and you know that's what our the final Rainmakers record, which actually is not available anywhere, uh, called Cover Band. We kind of went back to full circle to our roots. It's like we all started out playing cover music. Let's each pick some of our favorite cover songs and do an album of that. And uh, so, yeah, that that was 16 Tons is on there, kind of a heavy metal version almost. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Back 25, I think 25 years ago, they had a reality show to try to find a new lead singer for. Was at um, NXS. NXS. Yeah, I loved that show.
1: Yeah, I I remember watching that. And
0: there was a couple of singers that on there that did covers, but but they totally reinterpreted it.
1: Yeah, and there, that's always good when you hear somebody. There was one that I mean, that's twenty
0: years ago. The the man who sold the world. Uh huh. Somebody did a total, a version, totally yeah. changed that song.
1: We opened for NXS on their first American tour. They played when they played in Wichita. We opened for them. That really,
0: night. what was yeah. that like?
1: That oh, was great. You know, people didn't really know who they were. And they kind yeah. of had of a small crowd, but you could tell, like, oh, this is a really, really good band. Yeah, and they were, you know, they were kids. I mean, they were younger than us even. And uh, yeah, they were, they were great.
0: Okay, so Bob, we're coming up on the end. What did I not ask you about that? If I were Halfway professional at this, and knew what I was doing. <laughs> I should have asked.
1: I, I don't know. You hit it pretty good. You gave, you know, I think you gave us a, a, a timeline of uh, of my music around Kansas City and the fact that I'm still playing and the fact that I'm still making stuff. And and I tried to relate that I know I've been lucky and Kansas City has been a great place to be a musician. We never left. You know, we had musical friends that either went to New York or L.A. or Nashville. And we're kind of like, no, as long as you're able, willing to get in a van and travel the country, it doesn't really matter where you live, so let's just stay here. And I, I've enjoyed being a musician in Kansas City, and mm-hmm. I still do.
0: Well, there's – okay, with you you, you, you hit on three different levels with me, and very few people do. It's, uh, I, I admire talent. You know, I absolutely adore passion. But then the third one, which a lot of people miss out on, is that you care about people. Well, that's
1: you know. Luckily, I married uh, married someone who taught me a lot about mm-hmm. that, about the responsibility that if you are born into privilege and you're born where your talents uh, are encouraged and recognized, that you have a responsibility. You know, you're not you're not living in a bubble. And at whatever level, well, you know, I'm not a I'm not I'm not Bruce Springsteen. You know, I'm I'm not even Marilyn May. Uh, but whatever level you're at, you have you you can find a way to plug your passion, your mm-hmm. music into something that helps other people directly and uh, and that's that's been a good lesson to learn and i I get a lot of joy out of that
0: now Well we we can all uh, learn um, from that. Bob, thank you for being here.
1: Hey, Robert, and thank you for the pastries. I said oh. I was disappointed I wasn't going to be at the bakery, and you brought the bakery to me. <laughs> Thanks so all right. much.
0: Now, everybody out there, please remember the best way to keep this show on there is to support Best Regards Bakery and Cafe. Just go to MakeThemSmile.com. You'll see what we have new coming up for the holidays. And then, Rocco, thank you for all that you did for us today. Thanks, Rocco. Yeah, I had a few phone calls. I think I may open it up next week. No,
1: so oh boy, I'll week, be ready. next we're going to
0: talk... Um, well, we'll talk about that a little bit. Everybody out there, thank you for listening. Listen to the podcast online.
4: This concludes this broadcast of Kansas City Food Memories.